0: Hello and welcome to Healthcare Beat, a podcast about health law brought to you by Seifarth Shaw's cross-disciplinary healthcare group.
1: Each Healthcare Beat episode focuses on key industry trends and legal developments while identifying practical takeaways for those dealing with these issues every day. I'm
0: Chris DeMeo, a Seifarth healthcare attorney in Houston.
1: And I'm Heather Kloss, a Seifarth health attorney in Sacramento. Let's get started. On this episode of Healthcare Beat, we wrap up our two-part series on privacy and cybersecurity risks for healthcare organizations. Chris, who do we have with us today?
0: So we are closing out our coast-to-coast tour today, starting in Houston, Texas, with my law partner here in Houston, Jesse Coleman. Jesse specializes in commercial litigation for healthcare providers, which includes operational aspects, commercial contract aspects, and fraud and abuse compliance aspects. And uh, I know for a fact that Jesse is moderating a panel today of local luminaries on the False Claims Act for uh, business leaders here in Houston. So Jesse, I appreciate you spending some time with us today.
2: Chris, good to be here.
0: And then we move on to Washington, D.C., where we have Leon Rodriguez. I like to say that Leon is a healthcare expert in his spare time. Leon was the former director of OCR during the Obama administration, but it also has held high-ranking government posts in uh, the Immigration Department and has worked as a federal prosecutor. So always a pleasure, Leon, to have you with us. Thanks again. Jesse, let's start with you. How are you doing, by the way?
2: Doing great, thanks. Beautiful Houston morning, one of the few days you can actually stand outside and not have it feel like a sauna. There
0: you go. October is the time to be in Houston. Our last episode focused on operational measures, mainly focused on technical aspects of cybersecurity and data analytics that healthcare providers can employ to protect themselves against threat actors. But we also know there's a complex legal framework with myriad regulations that also dictate what healthcare providers have to do. I was hoping you could start our episode today with a little discussion of how the legal and the technical aspects interplay.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for that question. One of the legal regimes that most practitioners are aware of is HIPAA and HIPAA and tech, and these are the federal statutory and regulatory regimes that govern federally The dissemination and authorization of sharing healthcare information. But a lesser known set of statutes and regulations are the state level requirements. And one of the interesting things that I've found over the past few years is how little practitioners, both in house and externally, seem to know about their own state's laws. And it's absolutely critical that those are understood and better understood in order for our healthcare clients to effectively navigate the process of sharing information correctly.
0: Right. And the ironic thing about the state laws that I find is they only matter when they're more restrictive than HIPAA. So not knowing them, if they are indeed more restrictive, uh, can cause a lot of problems if you think you're doing it right in the first place.
2: They absolutely can. Some states, and we recently conducted a 50 state survey and published this survey, it can be found on our website and it can be provided to anyone who's listening here. But this 50-state survey revealed to us what we kind of understood already is that HIPAA is really the only the beginning of the story. HIPAA is one of those statutes that goes both directions in terms of allowing for more and less access to information. On the one hand, in certain circumstances, HIPAA is the final word. It's the federal law, so it's preemptive. And if HIPAA says you can't do it, then it really doesn't matter what the state law says unless HIPAA says it does. And so there are sets of circumstances in which HIPAA can say you absolutely cannot share health care and health personal information under these circumstances unless the state law says otherwise. And so it's important for our clients and practitioners to understand when states have exceptions that are recognized by the federal laws that apply and allow for shared information. On the other hand, Chris, as you pointed out, HIPAA is sometimes the beginning of the conversation because state law can be more restrictive. HIPAA is actually in many ways a framework to facilitate the sharing of information. It's designed to be the channels by which information flows. And there are times in which HIPAA says you can share information under these circumstances unless there are more restrictive rules that a state and its legislature have. And so what you have to understand is you look at HIPAA, you see where the restrictions are, you see where it's facilitated, and then you apply on top of that the statutory and regulatory framework of the jurisdiction you're in in order to determine whether or not that information can be shared under those circumstances. And as you point out, sometimes it's much more strict. The definitions of covered entities and protected health information may be completely different. Oftentimes they're the same, but it's important to understand when they're not.
0: So for our listeners out there who are focused on HIPAA and rely on a bunch of templates and forms that work well for HIPAA, where can they find other resources to make sure that one, their state doesn't have something to say about the issue, and two, how to comply with it if it does?
2: The first step I would recommend is that survey that we provided and that can be, again, found on our website and hopefully within the notes of this podcast here afterwards. It's a starting point. And uh, as in most legal issues, it's important to talk with and counsel with professionals in order to guide you. Every circumstance is different. And this is an area where you don't want to get it wrong. The notice and breach procedures in HIPAA are often mirrored and sometimes more more stringent under the state laws, HIPAA has an entire analysis process that allows you to determine whether or not a breach occurred once you've had an unlawful disclosure. And there are mitigating circumstances that if you properly analyze them may not result in a breach. And that's something that you can have determined with the proper legal professionals. State law oftentimes has strict liability. If you have an unlawful disclosure, it must be reported. And so again, it's important to understand those and to consult with healthcare legal professionals to guide when those unlawful disclosures occur, and more importantly, to prepare your company's processes so that you can minimize those circumstances in which they do occur. It really is not a question of if, it is a question of when there will be some form of unlawful disclosure, but you can minimize those and you can mitigate the risks associated with that if you have the proper processes in place ahead of time.
0: That's very helpful, Jesse. Uh, I appreciate that.
1: I have a question for Leon. Leon, you previously served as the director for the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services, so that's at the federal level. Explain to the listeners the role OCR plays in the event of a data breach involving protected health information.
3: Well, I think in a, a critical starting point to answering that question and picking up on some of the things that Jesse was talking about is to understand what is a breach because that's actually a pretty broad concept. It is a use or disclosure of protected health information that is not permitted under HIPAA. And, and when we say HIPAA, we're talking about HIPAA itself. We're talking about the privacy and security rules. And we're talking about the Tech Act, which was meant to sort of update HIPAA for the tremendous technology transformation that occurred between 1996 when HIPAA was first passed and 2011 which is I think when when high tech was passed there was a tremendous transformation both in the kind of technology that we as patients use and that providers are using. And so what that means is you can have a use of protected health information where the information never leaves the healthcare entity and still that could be something that would be considered a breach under HIPAA. So two classic examples is there were one of the very first HIPAA enforcement cases involved the theft by an employee of uh, a protected health information. And the minute the minute that employee accessed that information for anything other than her benefit That was a breach. Or if you have a news crew that comes into an emergency room and nobody, nobody's um, sort of blacking out the faces, that too can be a breach. So, so that's you know sort of a a key starting point for understanding how broad this concept is. Now, having said that, OCR plays certain critical roles in the event of a breach, and and there's two particular ones that I think both covered entities and and we, as their lawyers, need to, to concentrate on. The first is the management of data breach notification and sort of what the expectations and processes are around that, and two are investigations that may follow from those breach notifications. Because having said everything I just said before about uses and disclosures, the fact is that the majority of HIPAA enforcement cases and the majority of reported breaches involve some sort of either loss or theft or other kind of misappropriation of electronic health information. So let's talk first about the role in, in data breaches. Part of the high-tech regulations are the requirement that any covered entity, and covered entity can be a hospital, it could be a health plan, it could be a healthcare clearinghouse. Any breach of uh, protected health information uh, requires that the covered entity do three things. First, that the covered entity notify the affected patients. Two, that they notify OCR itself. And three, in certain circumstances that they also notify relevant media in the area where the breach occurred which just sort of parenthetically if we're talking about a multi-state healthcare entity or an entity that serves patients from a lot of different areas will not only have us worried about federal law, but picking up on one of the things Jesse was saying, will also have us worried about multiple states' notification processes as well. And the dividing line between whether there needs to be media notification and part of what influences the timing focuses on how many records were breached. So if you have records, less than 500 records that were breached, While patient notification needs to be immediate, OCR notification can actually wait until the beginning of the next calendar year. Uh, On the other hand, if it's greater than 500 records that were breached, that starts a 60-day clock from the time of discovery of that breach. So OCR receives those notifications. It's looking for uh, information as to what happened. It is looking for information about the root causes of what happened. It is looking for information about what the covered entity is doing to remedy those root causes. And finally, what it's doing to protect the affected patients and frequently in this context, we talk about preventing identity theft. So very often, the one thing that you're almost immediately going to do in the event of a breach is to provide patients with some sort of identity theft protection. OCR, having received all of that information, then uh, will actually have a list of, uh, of organizations that have experienced healthcare breaches. They, In the last couple of years, switched from having it be a list that was up there in perpetuity to now having it uh, to some degree time limited. And then, and this takes us into the next part of the discussion, OCR makes a decision as to whether it is going to initiate an investigation into that case and sort of the there are many factors that go into deciding whether it will initiate an investigation and also many factors that go into determining how long that investigation is going to take place and, and how, how intrusive that investigation is going to be. But the, the general point is that OCR is going to be looking, uh, if it does initiate uh, an investigation, to gaining even more insight as to what happened, into how decisively the covered entity responded to the breach, what steps it took to both mitigate the impact of that breach itself and then also to prevent future such breaches from occurring. The other thing I I think is important to point out is to always remember that this is both an electronic and a paper concept that we're talking about. So some of the breaches that they may not have as much dollar exposure as a, you know, an electronic breach where you have, you know, literally tens of thousands of patients affected. But some of the ones where, you know, very often there are a lot of sort of ragged edges in the way the providers uh, manage their health information are paper breaches. So you should never forget uh, to the extent that you're still on the paper environment that that is an environment that needs to be controlled as well. Uh, the old and document so that,
0: and the dumpster problem.
3: Uh, exactly, and those you know, those cases keep happening. They were happening back in you know the, oh the, my the, gosh. the uh, early early teens when I was at OCR, and they're you know they they they're, I'm still seeing them here at Cyfware. So uh, I mean, there are those those have not stopped at all. But at that point, OCR will will be deciding as the investigation progresses whether it wishes to initiate enforcement demand and to attempt to impose fines and it is important to understand particularly in the case of electronic breaches, these can be extremely expensive. The fines can be in the several millions of dollars and the costs of mitigation at that point, compliance with whatever OCR can require very literally for for protected health entities can start running into the millions and millions of dollars which is why rapid response to a breach is so critical. One last thing, one thing to always keep in mind as you are responding to a breach is even if a state has a less restrictive law than HIPAA, the fact is that the states can be a little wonky in terms of when they decide to take enforcement action or not. And very often it'll be cases that OCR would not actually give a second look to those cases, but there's some element, for example, where you have a related consumer protection issue. That may not necessarily be the kind of thing that gets OCR excited, but that in fact perhaps has the kind of either visibility or it's a priority of the state attorney general. And in those cases, the state might go running with enforcement action, even though it looks like uh, OCR is standing down. So, so critical to also be aware not just of what the state laws are and what the state breach notification requirements are, but also what the state's enforcement behavior is. Yeah, not to mention, I'm sure you know you know potential civil consequences, civil liability consequences that I know Jesse focuses on in, in his work.
1: And Leon, how does your experience at OCR help you to counsel clients on the issues they're facing in this area?
3: You know, when we've been able to work with clients and see them really stay on track in aggressively responding to a breach, invariably, I'm sort of proud to say it, invariably, we're able to head off uh, potential enforcement actions. You know, I think it's when covered entities get a little bit complacent, you know, oh, it wasn't really our fault. It was, uh, you know, somebody else's fault or blaming a vendor. Anytime you get into that kind of thinking and don't decisively respond to a breach, those are often the entities that end up uh, with more serious issues with OCR.
0: That's fantastic, Leon. Uh, I really appreciate that. Jesse, pivoting to you, when OCR is feeling a little bit grumpy, or you do have some other state entity or private entity that is going after the healthcare provider because of a data breach, how is that expressed in litigation? What are you seeing out there now that data has become so ubiquitous? And even though we haven't had any advancements in digital healthcare since 2011, thank goodness, there still are lots of opportunities for litigation in this. Context. So, can you explain to our listeners a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So, in addition to OCR investigations, and one thing I would just add to what Leon said with regards to cases that end up favorably for our clients, not only is a straight upfront mea culpa notice critical for getting on the right side of an investigation from OCR, but full cooperation along the way, full production of documents, full disclosure of the details as requested, full cooperation has resulted in my experience to be a a much more favorable position for our clients than, uh, yeah. as Leon was describing, it's not my fault, somebody else did it, the kind of a resistance to the investigation. But in further answer to your question, we see the litigation in a number of different areas. We'll see state's attorneys general pursuant to statute and regulation attempt to impose civil liabilities against the healthcare entities and the folks that are working there. We'll also see private rights of action in some states. And again, these morph and change depending on the jurisdiction from a HIPAA analog, if you will, that we're looking at private protected healthcare information and specific statutes that are on point to that, to general privacy statutes that may have private rights of action available under a state law. And then finally, there are common law duties. There's the ever-present attempt by plaintiff's lawyer and the plaintiff's bar to change HIPAA standards and state law standards into some general duty of care. And we see in in various jurisdictions more and less successful attempts by plaintiff's attorneys to create a private right of action in the case of of a HIPAA breach or a state breach where maybe the state statutes don't recognize those and certainly HIPAA does not carry with it a private right of action. But that doesn't seem to have stopped a number of folks from trying to create or, or recognize a, an analogous duty based on a, a, an unlawful disclosure under state or federal law.
0: Is there anything uh, that you're seeing in the near future where that may change under HIPAA? There may be a private right of action or that other states are adopting the position that we are going to provide a form of relief for our citizens if this happens.
2: I'm not aware of the Office of Civil Rights, or I should say the secretary promulgating additional regulations or proposing a new rule that would create a private right of action for an individual under federal law. As for state laws, those change every day, and we've got at least 51, 52 jurisdictions that we're tracking regularly to see if that indeed is the case. And we do see very often state legislatures either proposing... Uh, and sometimes passing additional strictures that include private rights of action. So it's it's critical, again, com- coming back to the original message, it, it's critical for individual healthcare entities to appreciate the laws of the jurisdictions they're operating in, and to appreciate the laws of the jurisdictions where their clients are coming from, out-of-state folks that come into the jurisdiction and receive health care and then leave with that health care, and you have their private information. Other jurisdictions may then have a claim on your activities and behavior with regards to those clients. So again, very important to keep up with that and understand what laws may apply.
0: And that cross-state issue has got to be a lot more important now with the explosion of telehealth.
2: There's no question about it. Questions arise and they've been asked of me very frequently if I'm providing health care via telehealth and I'm in one state and my patient is in another, which jurisdictions laws apply? And if there is an unlawful disclosure, obviously federal law applies, but which state laws might apply, which other jurisdictions might apply? And so those those are fun questions to suss out and get answers to. But the answer isn't always immediately obvious. When in doubt, assume they all apply and then work back from there to see if there's a, an exception you might might have an opportunity to take advantage of.
0: Well, never a dull moment in the privacy and cybersecurity world for healthcare information. So Leon, I want to give you the last word here. Our last two episodes have been dedicated to this concept of patient information privacy and cybersecurity and the operational aspects and the legal aspects of that. And they, frankly, have been inspired by a recent docu series that you and Jesse participated in, as well as our two guests in the prior episode participated in about these very issues. Can you talk a little bit about that project and how and where people can find it if they're interested in uh, seeing it and sharing it?
3: Sure. The project, as you said, was sponsored by the American uh, Health Lawyers Association and really presented a lot of expertise on sort of the the whole, the whole life cycle of uh, healthcare, health information privacy. And in particular, the role that we as lawyers play in helping covered entities, you know, one, be in compliance in the first place, but two, uh, deliver a comprehensive uh, response to any kind of protected health information incident whether it's one that's technically a breach or not and, and you know we as Cypherth were able to bring to bear really this great sort of combination of litigation regulatory and then the cybersecurity technical expertise you know among the various of us who were involved in that series when we put up this podcast actually uh, along with uh, the posting of the podcast there will be a link to that docu-series, and it's also available elsewhere on our website. And I I do think that in addition to this podcast, where we've been able to get into some more technical depth, I think that listeners of the podcast will really enjoy uh, watching and will find that video project very useful.
1: Thank you to Jesse and Leon for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your insight and expertise in this area.
3: Great. Thanks. Thanks for having us.
1: And thank you for joining us for another edition of Seifarth's Healthcare Beat Podcast bringing you the latest developments and pressing issues in health law. So you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to visit scifarth.com or follow us on iTunes, Google, SoundCloud, or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. We look forward to having you with us again soon.